weekend, and look at that. It's sunny out. <laughs> That's an, a pleasant surprise. thought it was supposed to rain all weekend. I thought it always rains on the Labor Day weekend. I thought it always rains when the PE is on, but that's not the case. Now, you may not be in your garden today, but we have our gardening guru with us. We want to wrap up the unofficial end of summer with some garden talk. And you're welcome to join us at 604 280 9898 or star 9898. We're live this morning, and Egan Davis joins us in studio. He is an award winning Red Seal horticulturalist with a background in private residential landscaping, greenhouse production, as well as notables, Van Dusen, Park and Tilford, the Mandel Floral Conservatory in Saskatoon. Currently, he is the chief instructor at the Horticulture Training Program at UBC Botanical Garden, and he joins us today for this late summer gardening tune-up, 280-9898 or star 9898. And you're most welcome to join us with any question about anything having to do with your plant life or garden. And thanks for being here. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on the show. So well, I want to, uh, before we get into sort of the whole garden thing um, and ask a few questions about what's current today, you spent some time overseas this summer. We did get a chance to talk to you from Sweden, which was fun. Uh, they do things differently, and I, I, I think Sweden is a good comparison to what we do here because often we're very much associated, like lifestyle-wise, they may be a little bit more uh, social. Uh, go- their government is more social-oriented, but it's not that dissimilar to what we do here. So lifestyle, uh, practices, and all, and all of these things are very similar what what did you discover and what were you able to take away with your experience working in Sweden? Well, the reason that I went to Sweden was because there's some gardeners in Sweden and uh, in Germany. Those two places, there's uh, gardeners that are pushing gardening into a different direction. So, for example, what we do here, and if you look at our parks and our back gardens, front gardens, it's uh, the tail end of what was the Victorian gardening movement. And gardens were all about, you know, what they look like, if it's pretty. But uh, I think in Germany and Sweden, there's people that are asking, what else can gardens be? And they're asking ecological questions and, and looking carefully at how much resource we put into gardening and coming up with ways to produce urban spaces that are beautiful, because, of course, that's really important, but also provide pollen and nectar for bees and insects and birds and uh, require less water and more stable-type planting. So... What is the water situation where you were specifically? <laughs> is it is it similar to what we have? I mean, we, we have this uh, uh, an abundance of water, and yet uh, we have to be careful. We had water restrictions, although we never got past uh, level one this year, thankfully. Right. Uh, is it a similar situation there? You know, the climate in, in Gothenburg, where I spent most of my time, it is very wet there. And in Vancouver, we think it's a very wet climate, but... We do have that dry spell in July, August that rolls into September, and our resources are are tapped at that point. But at Gothenburg, it rains every day. Is that right? Yeah, even in the summer, it's like, and it doesn't rain all day every day, but you really get the sense that there's weather moving past you. So big showers, and then it's sunny, and so, so there's a slightly different strain on yeah. uh, their system. Hence there. the, uh, the 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 darkness of being goth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably has nothing to do with it, but I thought I'd throw that in. So lots of uh, rain. Does that? Uh, lots of rain. Do they have enough sunshine, though, to, to, to produce the, the right balance of the right cycle? Yeah, it's a very good climate there because it's, it rains every day, but the days are long. I was in Gothenburg on their Midsummer's Eve on the, you know, June 21st, 
and I was walking around in the botanic garden at midnight. Really? And it was getting it was getting dark, but it was uh, you know at eleven thirty it was like a nice dusk light. Oh, nice! So they get the long days, and yeah. they, get, they do get a lot of sun, but there's there's you know continual rain right through July and August. Are the Swedes ahead of us? Uh, behind us? Uh, who leads the way horticulturally? Uh, who's who got the upper hand? Who's uh, on the edge? Oh, I mean, they, they do, and and I will tell you that's why I went there. Is in Europe you have that long-standing history. You've got those old Victorian greenhouses, the big botanic gardens, and then you also have a big network. So you know, here in Vancouver, we're physically isolated from other big cities, but um, in Europe, there's so much density. So you know, when I was at the I was at the Gothenburg Botanic Garden for a month, and while I was there, there was people coming from Scotland, from England, from the Netherlands, from Germany, and and these are big, you know, people who are really doing things like the big names in these countries. And there's a lot of easy networking that happens. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, here in Vancouver, we don't have that. We don't have that history. And so, you know, the people, you know, the horticultural scene here is is good. But I, I you know, I went to Sweden because I want to see what they're doing, what they're doing to, you know, to push things forward. Because that's, that's where I sort of decided where that seems to be happening. Sure. Right now. Mm-hmm. So what was the most remarkable thing that you took away from your visit to Gothenburg? Well, the Gothenburg Botanic Garden is fantastic, and uh, the, the the curators there, their collections are incredible. They're from all around the world and all wild collected. But some of the private gardens, I have a friend named Peter Korn who has a private garden there, and what Peter does is incredible. He's got about 12 acres, and his collection of plants is incredible. And and the way he plants is a naturalistic style where I could best describe it as a vertical layering of plants. So within, say, 10 square meters, uh, the amount of plant diversity that he can pack into any small garden space is incredible. He'll have, um, you know, flowers that are six feet high and then right underneath flowers that are four feet high, three feet high, right down to the ground, uh, just fitting plants together in such a way that you can just pack a lot of diversity in a small space. Gardening by nature is ecological, but when we use that term in horticulture, what do we mean? Uh, the, the blending of aesthetics and, and ecology. It's interesting because you know, people talk about using native plants a lot, and there's it's an interesting discussion when you think about gardening for nature. But I, I think you know when you drive through Vancouver and uh, you you know your windshield, you might have one or two bugs that hit the windshield, but you get <laughs> out of the city and it's caked, and that's a good indication as to you know really how dead our urban cities are. And so for me, it's a matter of you know increasing the 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 life that is in the city the birds the bees the insects and so doing that it involves using all the resources and and that means plants that are not only just native to here but native to other parts of north america and europe and asia so for me ecological gardening isn't necessarily only using native plants it's responsibly using plants in such a way that we can increase the amount of uh, you know life in our cities is there a risk though of when we bring in other plant life uh of uh, bringing in an invasive uh, species that might overtake and destroy some of our native plant life? Oh, of course there's a risk for that, but there's enough, we we know enough about so many plants to know that they don't have that propensity to be invasive. So with with some basic understanding of what plants to avoid, it's easy to to fill up a garden or an urban space with uh, plants that flower that are not going to be invasive. Now, before we go to the phones, I want to talk a little bit about the horticultural training program at UBC. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are the chief instructor, and this is year, is this year four? This is year five for the program. Year five. Yeah. It's my fourth year, but it's year five for the program. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. That's that's excellent, because I remember those wobbly first days (laughs) when, uh, I mean, it was always a well-intended program, but not necessarily 
uh, one that was secure in its future, but now it seems to be well footed and uh, growing quite nicely. Oh, yeah. Well, the be- the beginning stages of anything are you always have that uncertainty, but our program has had such success. Every year we're on this upward curve. The program's getting better and better every year, and uh, we're we really have a lot of fun there, and we're we're getting really great people to you know take part in the program every year. We just started last week. Uh, the students in the program this year are just fantastic people, and yeah, it's a re- it's exciting. These people are learning a lot, and we're doing a lot at the botanical garden, and then they're going off, and I'm getting a lot of really good feedback from the industry about the people coming out of the program. Well, that's good to hear. But mm-hmm. let's be specific, Egan. Uh, uh, somebody who graduates from your program, yep. uh, what do they get in, in terms of paperwork, and yep. uh, what kind of uh, work do they end up in? Students who are successful with our program, they get four certificates from UBC, from the University of British Columbia. And uh, those are horticultural certificates. They also get credit towards uh, eventually uh, earning their Red Seal trades ticket. So a Red Seal horticulturalist is somebody who has put thousands of hours into the industry and has successfully um, passed uh, standardized exams over a period of years. And with the... uh, the horticulture training program, you get two years credit towards your Red Seal ticket. Right. And how long is the Red Seal? Is that like about four years? It's a four-year program. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how long have you been Red Seal certified? I've been Red Seal for about five years. The Red Seal uh, is is new in horticulture. Actually. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. We just... Uh, it was about seven years ago that uh, we worked very hard to have horticulture um, a Red Seal trade. Um, prior to that, it wasn't a Red Seal trade. So the fact that it is is a new thing. And what does that do for you uh, or anyone uh, with a Red Seal in horticulture? What does that do for them vocationally? A Red Seal certificate is interprovincial. So anywhere in Canada, any province in Canada will recognize that. So for employment with a large organization, a municipality or institution like university, it uh, means a lot. It could mean the difference of getting a job or not getting a job. But also, too, I think I feel very strongly that it raises the level of professionalism in the horticulture industry. So horticulture in BC in the last 20 years has really taken a lot of steps to to be more professional. I'd like to see a future where you can't just have a pickup truck and some tools and slap a sign on the side of your door and say that you're a professional gardener. Had a few of those uh, running around my neighborhood this year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, and for the most part, I think well intended. Sure, of course. But they load up because this is the time of the year yeah. where they can make a lot of time and make yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. But not necessarily spend the, the amount of time or thought or have the experience or the know how mm-hmm. to really make a difference. And, and so what ends up happening is a lot of, because I've had a lot of neighbors tell me that they've you know basically hired people out of the back of their truck. Yep. And uh, got less than desirable results, paid a lot of money, and yeah. never heard from those people again. Yeah, you can have gardens that last two, three years and need to be redone. And you can have serious things, like you can have people uh, damage your drainage systems or install drainage systems that actually flood your basement or plant trees that are ultimately going to damage your property. I mean, you you can have property damage or you can you know have money that you just waste for you know, things needed to be redone years later. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about your garden. That means it's over to you, 604-280-9898, star 9898. If you're mobile on a long weekend, it's uh, horticulture talk, anything having to do with plant life, your call is welcome to Egan Davis of UBC. And uh, we'll get to that call right after we take a break. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. 
We're talking about horticulture, gardening, anything having to do with plant life. Our guest is Red Seal Horticulturalist and Chief Instructor at the UBC Botanical Garden, Egan Davis. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're mobile. Bill, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Um, Inherited a house, a family house, with uh, lots of fruit trees, plums, cherries, apples, pears. Uh, The trees are probably 30 to 40 years old. And um, they've been allowed to grow wild, uh, you know, not, not trimmed, not pruned. And now they're not producing, especially this year. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, how to, are they just too old? How to get them back uh, to produce or, or are they just done? Your fruit trees, Bill, they, will, they, they are likely not done. But uh, when you are looking, go out and look at the trees after this, and you will see big, long extension growth. And on a lot of those fruit trees, you'll see shoots that uh, grew two to three feet this year. But also the, the fruits will grow on tiny little shoots, little uh, reproductive spurs. And when you prune a fruit tree, what you're trying to do is you know, you eliminate all the vegetative growth and try to direct uh, energy into the reproductive growth. So in the summertime, what you can do is look for the long shoots that develop and trim them down to two inches or so and uh, add a bud. And th- doing that every year will in- increase the amount of fruit that they produce. Okay. And all the uh, lower branches that are dead? Always a good idea to remove dead wood off of any tree. So you can do that at any time. Okay, okay. Do you know how long uh, these fruit trees last? Fruit trees? Indefinite or? Well, I mean, I've pruned an apricot here in Vancouver that was like 120 years old. And wow. it was producing, and it was a beautiful tree. So That was a fruit. Oh, it's delicious. Was it? Delicious, yeah. You didn't bring absolutely. any. <laughs> no, that wasn't this year, but... Uh... Normally you bring, like, <laughs> wine or scotch or yeah. apricots. With, nothing today. <laughs> with, uh, with cherry trees, do you need a male and a female cherry? With cherries, you don't need a male and a female cherry. Okay. okay. Thanks a lot, Bill. Appreciate your call. Excellent questions. Yeah, very good. We're off good. to a great start yeah, here. that's right. Hi, Erica. Good morning. Well, I have a big problem, and since about two or three years, the outer tips of my of the leaves of my potted peonies mm-hmm. and the little vine maple trees are turning brown and are dry as if the little capillaries can't pick up any nutrients. Mm-hmm. Is that a lack of minerals? Well, it could be a lack of water. And no, it, that nope. it isn't. That I can okay. guarantee. I see. Well, two different things. The peonies often get a fungal disease um, called botrytis. But. And if in the spring you look for leaves that are turning brown and you pick those if you can in the spring, that'll help. Increasing the airflow helps. Yeah. And then with the maple, maples get a disease called verticillium wilt, which is a fungal disease. Uh-huh. And um, it's unfortunate, but once a maple gets verticillium wilt, then it's ultimately slowly going to die. Ooh. So if it's had plenty of water and the leaves are turning kind of brown, I mean, without seeing it, I couldn't tell you, but it sounds to me like a fungal disease called verticillium wilt. So there's there's not much you can do. Just keep the tree, um, you know, well watered. They don't like to dry out excessively and enjoy it for the next few years. Appreciate your call, Erica. Thank you so much. Uh, just quickly before mm-hmm. the next call, are, are, did we see a lot of damage from the summer before when we had the drought? Uh, it would have taken probably this long to have, or at least maybe as, as early as last spring, or this past spring, to recognize a lot of damage? 
Yeah, the well, what happened last year with the with the lack of water? A lot of plants produced really weak growth, and then in that fall there was a heavy rain, and a lot of a lot of uh, trees failed. But um, this spring, things flowered like crazy because of the heat. A lot of the spring flowers, their buds are produced in the summer. And so we had we a had, hot spring. Yeah, we had, we had the and a hot spring, too. So we had the best spring for things. We had summer and remember. spring this year, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's true. Go ahead, Dale. Dale, you there? Oh, yes, I am. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. Go right ahead. I, oh, I just hope you guys have an explanation of what someone can do about squirrels. I mean, they pretty well decimated 40-50% of everything that we've grown this year. What and are you I mean, talking they, about? Vegetables? Or? Well, well, vegetables. They pushed down our, a lot of our corn plants and chewed those up. They've oh, uh, eaten all of our walnuts, every single one of them of a whole walnut grove. And you're sure they're squirrels? I've seen it do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's not squirrels. Uh, it's just only got to be squirrels. <laughs> squirrel. Oh, it's a so squirrel. Size so in one. Other than lead poisoning, what do you suggest? Well, how about a leash? Bring him in house, and uh, you know, have a build yeah, a kennel for him. him in, how about we bring him in your house, and yeah. I'll check with you a little while later to see how no, well you like the squirrels in my neighborhood are well ahead of you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the growers must have some suggestions. Other, I don't know, other than shooting them. You know, something with in the gardening world, I've had problems with individual squirrels, and and it's frustrating, and and each one has their own. You know, crazy things that they do. So I don't have any uh, Ian. What? Uh, well, squirrels? I think I, I think uh, as far as squirrels go, uh, you, you know, you need you're going to have to talk to a pest control person. And the reason uh, for that is I do know uh, we talk to Joe Gabera from Green Valley Pest Control often, and uh, squirrels, like other rodents, tend to hang out where the food is. And obviously, you've got a good supply for this squirrel. You're not going to get rid of your supply of food because that's what you're growing. Uh, and squirrels, they they come back. So you could uh, they used to remove squirrels by two or three bodies of water. That's no longer being done. So really, the best thing you can do is to is to capture this thing and uh, unfortunately have it meet its end. And uh, for that, I can wish you good luck. Because apart from that, I I don't know other than contacting a a pest control professional. But what a, I, I mean, I, I I can imagine pulling your hair out. You know, you grow this stuff, you put your heart and your love and your tender, all that stuff into your garden, and bam, some squirrel comes out of nowhere. And these are mostly, by the way, the problem squirrels, as I understand, they're not the local Mm -hmm. squirrels. These are invasive squirrels. These are squirrels that were brought over from Europe a long time ago, and they have pretty much taken over the squirrel population. The other thing that, and, and, you know, he's got uh, squirrel problems, and we have squirrels in our area, um... We also have rabbits, feral rabbits, if you can believe it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so there's all kinds of pests and, and, and rodents, and this has been a particularly bad year for it. I'm not really sure why, if it's mm-hmm. just uh, the, the, the climate change, if it's the population is exploding on its own or, or what is going on exactly. But we'll uh, we'll get Joe Gabera on, on, an, on another show in the future, and uh, we'll try and – I mean, he's, he has addressed this in the past, and uh, we'll have to get him back. We'll take a break, and then we'll we'll go back to the phone. So if you've got anything going on in your garden, we'll try our best to answer it. Egan Davis is a Red Seal horticulturalist. He's the chief instructor at the UBC Botanical Garden. And our number is 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're mobile. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW.
Talking about gardening, horticulture, landscaping, anything that grows in your place, inside or out for that matter, Egan Davis is here. He's an award-winning Red Seal horticulturist. Our phone number is 604-280-9898 or star 9898. If you want to join us, anything having to do with your growing life, uh, feel free to join us and ask away. Has uh, Here we are on the Labor Day long weekend, and I, I couldn't help but wonder if the gardening season is all but over. Oh, I think the best gardening work that you can do is in the fall and the spring. And in Vancouver, you can garden right through the winter. That's when you can really do stuff. You can plant things right now. You can move shrubs and trees in a few weeks. Uh, There's a lot that you can do in the winter. We've had a lot of rain lately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that unusual uh, for this time of the year? Is that a good thing, uh, not so good? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, every year is so different, right? But I always notice in the middle of August, you get more dew on the grass and the cooler nights. And to me, there's a there's a season that, that doesn't really, summer and fall don't really capture the, the season that we have in between that. It's sort of still sunny, but cooler, a little bit more mm. rain. So that's what we have right now. This summer, by the way, just as somebody who's grown up in Vancouver, mm. has felt more normal this yeah, right. year okay. than, than perhaps the last couple of years, and certainly last summer when we had that... Uh, we had that real intense drought. Good morning, Rena. Uh, good morning. I have a question regarding our flowering cherry, which is uh, uh, the roots are growing towards the house. What can we do ab- about that? Hi, Rena. Yeah, the flowering cherries, their roots grow on the surface of the soil always. And uh, anything in that family, they're in the rose family. In fact, you can uh, root prune them. So what I would suggest you do is now wouldn't be a bad time to do that is to the ones that are growing towards the house, you can um, find them with a shovel and and uh, dig around them and cut them with a saw nice and cleanly. And, and if you can do that, leave uh, cut them about six feet away from the base of the tree, and then that way they won't grow towards the house. They will branch out and, and be closer to the tree. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for your call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. Uh, uh, During the break, uh, we were talking about lawn care, uh, and I asked you if this is the time to oversee. Now, most lawns, not all, but mine, for example, is dormant, and that's what you would expect. And I followed your advice to let it go dormant this year. So in other words, the, the lawn is brown. It's not dead, though, according to you, mm-hmm. but I can start to overseed now? Yeah, you'll find that with these uh, cooler nights and a little bit of rain, I suspect in two to three weeks your lawn will be green again. And seeding right now, if you're trying to overseed bare spots in, in the grass, it's, it's really good because with the dew, seed will stay moist. And uh, perennial rye is uh, not necessarily the best grass to make uh, the base for your lawn, but it germinates really quickly. So if you've got any bare spots, uh, perennial rye will germinate in 10 days right now. So now is a good time if you've got spots or bare spots or, or dog pee spots, would be a good time to overseed those? Yeah, now's, now's a great time, in fact. When it's too hot, it's it's hard to keep it moist and the seed doesn't like to germinate when it's that hot and we've got you know the whole month of september is great for seeding have the leaves started to fall earlier this year or is it or is it just that i've noticed it you know in in august leaves will turn color they will look less lush green and more of a bronzy green but i saw some trees uh, a couple of weeks ago even that looked like 
thought that looks more like October. And yeah, well, yeah. I've had to rake already. I had to yeah. rake my backyard because it, it was I couldn't see any of that dormant grass. Yeah, well, we got a blast of heat there, and that's tough. That's tough on trees. So it doesn't matter though. It's okay because they've already produced their buds for next year. Okay. So they do that in July, and by the middle of August, all the all the buds for next year are already set. So at this point, it's not a, nothing to worry about. Now the farmers almanac. If mm-hmm. you uh, if I don't know if you follow that or not, but loosely. Okay, yeah. they predicted for us in Metro Vancouver a much cooler and much wetter winter season, mm. and they have said that we'll have one week in December and one week in January. And this, I'm just going off the top of my head uh, uh, from memory, mm-hmm. and that those two weeks, the one in December, one in January, would be very, very snowy. Oh. So as a horticulturalist or somebody who has a backyard garden, mm-hmm. is that something we need to consider or just play along as it comes? When whenever there's snow and I've managed garden spaces, I instantly think about hedges and trees, and it's always a good idea. Our snow's so wet mm-hmm. and heavy, heavy and sticky, and so you can get uh, tree branch failures and hedges, you know, blow out. And often people don't even notice that until after the snow melts. So if you care about those things after a heavy dump of snow, just go out and try to loosely shake the snow off of branches if you can reach them in hedges. Sure. Is this a time now to start thinking about next spring, or is it? Uh, we, should we just be focusing on what's happening right now? Oh, it's a great time of year to be thinking about. Actually, right now is a great time of year to plant anything because the soil's still warm, and when you plant something now, it'll produce roots, and then you'll get a jump start on next year. So that by the time the things start growing in the spring, they've already been they've already established somewhat. So it's a great time of year to plant anything right now. What about food? Uh, any kind of foodstuffs? Yeah, you can you can still have fun with uh, lettuce and arugula. Some of those cool season leafy green crops, you know, they germinate quickly. Uh, in the next week at, at UBC, we're going to be sowing um, spinach and arugula and lettuce and mustard and radishes, and so you can still do those types of things. How much stuff do you grow at UBC at the the botanical garden in oh, terms of food? We have a big food garden. In fact, we I. I don't know the how much how many kilograms of food we donate to the food guard a uh, food bank, but we uh, we have a big food garden, and uh, and there's volunteers that pick food uh, weekly weekly, and, and and the food truck comes and takes it all to the food bank. So, I was at the UBC Botanical Garden uh, this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was very impressed. I hadn't been there in a number of years. Oh, good. Really, really enjoyed the experience, and I have to say. And I hope this is the right word, but I got a kick out of the volunteers there because mm-hmm. uh, they're they're just happy to be in the environment that they're in and mm-hmm. just so thrilled to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun, too, to watch them work. Uh, let's see what Roger's up to. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about transplanting a kiwi vine that's five years old. Is that uh, doable? Yeah, Roger, you can transplant the kiwi vine. And I, I would say uh, you could do that. You could do that now. And uh, has, if it's produced a lot of growth, you'll, you know, it wouldn't hurt to cut some of that growth back. Just watch the kiwis produce these big, long whips of growth. Cut those back, but watch for the short shoots because the little short branches are where you're going to get the flowers for the fruit. So, okay, uh, so uh, it's mm, a monster. It's a monster. Oh, yeah. No, they'll outgrow any structure, I think, residentially. People, I mean, it's a fun plant to have, but they produce so much growth. Well, I'm waiting for the fruit to come off it. So, oh, I see. Yeah, and you know what? If you want to wait for that to happen, you can transplant it in the spring as well. So okay. you could wait okay. till then. That's fine, too. Great. Thanks for your time. You're Thanks welcome. for your call, Rogers. 604-280-9898, star 9898, mobile. 
Uh, what about winter flowers? Is this the time to start working on that? Yes, if you're talking uh, herbaceous things, like if you're looking at planting, uh, you know, in the garden centers, you can buy pansies, and those are always really sweet. And if you put them in right now, they get rooted and they can flower right through the winter. Yeah. Because it's a nice thing to have in the wintertime. It is. And there's a lot of shrubs, actually. Um, a Asian Mahonias. There's a really great Mahonia called Winter Sun. Uh, another one called Charity. They're very similar. And they flower in January. And if you have one of those in your garden, guaranteed you'll have hummingbirds. I thought that Mahonia was a, a hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> Some, somebody else. Hi there, Laura. Hi. I have a, an extremely large tiaras. Okay. I've asked a couple of different landscape companies if they could move it. They say they can't. It's too oh. big. Oh. But I really need it reduced in size. It was left to overgrow. I see. How much can I take off it in the first cutting, and when can I do it? So you're lucky because uh, some plants, when you prune them back very hard, will regrow. Some won't. If mm-hmm. Remember the St. Patrick's Day. That's a good day to remember. Um, oh. That time of spring, it's uh, past any point where you're worried about uh, frost being an issue. Mm-hmm. And you can cut a Pieris back quite hard and okay. cut it back to a stubby. How tall is this thing? <laughs> about 13 feet. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, and it's you, beautiful. It's just in the wrong location. You could move it. Why don't you just garden. move? Move it. Just move your house. <laughs> yeah, just move the house. <laughs> I've I've asked two major landscape companies, and oh. they said no. And the gas line is somewhere pretty close to it. Oh, that could be a problem. So, they root yeah. on the surface. You know something? They root on the surface. But oh, um, really? oh yeah, they're easy. They're actually easy to move, even a twelve footer. But really? I mean, it's a matter of whether or not you're going to find somebody. You, you want practice moving plants? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a request there. You yeah, can... we move our own plants. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your but call, Laura. Put it back hard in the spring. Thank you. All the you're best. Welcome. Good luck with that, Mary. How are you doing, Mary? Me? Hi. Me? Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I uh, I plant some uh, from the seeds for the grapes, but for over ten years I never really uh, they never got fruit any of them. So I just wondering if these uh, um, grape um, plants is okay or they won't just get any fruit. Well, if you're so the the plants have grown, they're just not producing fruit. Yeah, train the vines uh, laterally, like grow them sideways. Grow the the big a big long vine out sideways, and then they if they're going to produce fruit, they'll produce fruit on 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 shoots that develop along the sideways growing branch. So you mean like horizontally? Hor- yeah, horizontally. Like grow it along a fence or a board uh, in a sideways direction horizontally, and then any laterals, anything that's growing off that, that's where you'll see the fruit. We have more with Egan Davis, Red Seal Horticulturalist. He's the chief instructor at the UBC Botanical Garden, the Horticultural Training Program, taking your calls on anything to do with horticulture. That's why he's a horticulturalist and plant life. 604-280-9898 or star 9898. When we come back on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. Want to blast through as many calls as possible. We're talking horticulture, plant life, and gardening with Egan Davis from UBC. Good morning to you, Jared. Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, question. Yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can uh, hear you very good. well this year with our uh, yellow plum trees and apple trees, but about three years ago, I noticed what looks like a fungus or almost a tumor growing on our 
yellow plum trees. And if that's something that's going to ultimately kill it, or if that's something I can do to some do some kind of maintenance on that. So when you see that type of fungal canker, bacterial canker growing on yeah. branches, um, it's best to try to cut it off as much as possible. And if it's all over the plant and uh, that's not possible, just, uh, you know, continue to take care of it with water in the summertime when it's really dry. And sometimes the fruit trees are short-lived. Now, should I be careful when I'm pruning that stuff back? To not to, Can it be transferred? I, I've heard that if you cut that tumor back and you go cut another fruit tree, it's quite often that you can pass that on. Absolutely. So if you're going to be doing some pruning, prune the diseased one last and you can disinfect your your pruning uh, gear. Um, even soap and water is good. Some people use bleach. If you don't want to use that, just soap and water works just fine. Okay, it's a healthy tree, so I was planning on slashing it right back this year anyway. Mm-hmm. And one more quick question. Growing avocados in our climate, does that work here? Only if you have a greenhouse. They'll germinate. Right. It's fun to grow them on the windowsill, but no. Yeah, I had one pop out of the compost, and I actually stuck it in the greenhouse. I want to see how she does. Yeah, <laughs> let fun. us know. Yeah. Let us know. That's a good, good one. I like to see how that one turns out. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate your call. Uh, moving on here to Donna. Good morning. Morning. Hi. Go right ahead. Um, so I have a bay laurel leaf tree. It's about like four feet high, I think, three to four feet. And how do I harvest the leaves? Do I cut off the tips? where the four leaves are, do I pick them individually? Oh, it depends on how much you want. I mean, you can uh, prune the, the, the bay laurel and then take the branches and dry them. Or if you want to just use them individually, you can. There's, you can't really go wrong. I know in the spring I used to cut a bay laurel back really hard uh, every year, and I just take the shoots and then uh, dry all those out and uh, give out bay, you know, bay leaves to my friends. Oh, okay. So how far would I cut it down? Like when you say prune really hard, would I leave much? It, it depends on how big you want the plant to be. Don't do that until the spring. Do it in uh, mid-March. I always say St. Patrick's Day is a good day to remember. Um, and honestly, with a bay, you could cut it to the ground, and it would, if it's uh, been there for a while, it'll, it'll grow back from a stump. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. You're, You're welcome. Bet. Thank you for your call, Donna. Uh, we're over to Greg now. Oh, hi there. Um, I just wanted to, I've got a couple of um, red bananas, mm-hmm. and uh, last, last, uh, winter, I tried. I tried overwintering one of the the giant red bananas, and I I had one of those um, those tree those proper tree covers, and I I covered it, and, and it, it just kind of rotted. Yep. Um, so this winter, I was thinking about actually digging them out and and um, overwintering them that way. Is there is there any chance of successfully overwintering those? So the red bananas are from north. Uh, they're from Ethiopia, and they they you cannot overwinter them. You have to bring them in. The Japanese bananas you can overwinter in the garden. So, I, but if I bring them in, yeah. um, will they? So, so what would I do? Just put them in a pot and then in a dark spot, or? Put them in a pot and the more, not so much a dark spot, near a window if you don't have a greenhouse, they'll get buggy, they'll get aphids inside, um, and that's okay when you take them out, just wash all of that off and plant them again, so dig them, put them in a pot. And should I, should I cut them all back right, right down to the trunk or leave, them, leave the leaves on? I would cut some of the bigger leaves off, but leave, don't cut the whole plant back, leave the central leaf or a few leaves in the center entire and then try to grow it through the it's difficult but uh you can do it okay i'll give it a whirl go great go (laughs) good call thank you appreciate it uh we want to move along because we want to get everybody on here uh good morning to you jane hey good morning quick question um i was listening to the other guy that phoned and he said he had a ton of kiwis well i had 
I have a kiwi plant. I guess we didn't have a female and male, mm-hmm. but that's growing like stinks. I keep cutting it back. So we bought a female and a male, and it's growing, but it's not producing any flowers or fruit. And now I'm just wondering if I should just dig them out because I'd rather have something that's pretty. Yeah. Well, they're huge plants. They're vigorous. And the first few years of their life in the garden, they'll produce vegetative growth, not reproductive. So it may take a few years for the reproductive growth to, to start to develop. Okay. All right. Oh, another quick question is, mm-hmm. I have blackberry bush in mm-hmm. the front. It's rooted itself from the backyard to the front, and I've dug most of it out. Yep. But every now and then a shoot comes out, and I don't know, any suggestions? And bamboo. Pie. Yeah, both of those things, just noth- nothing but digging it out works, really. So just keep, keep digging it out, and uh, same with the bamboo. Okay. There's no secrets to it. It's just hard work. You sound enthusiastic about that. <laughs> well, I spent all my summer digging it out, so I have nothing in the front. Oh, and I thought, okay, I'm going to start putting a bush in or something. Yeah. And I looked down, and lo and behold, it sprouted Another there, shoot, there, yeah. And then I nuked it with Roundup or something, and I burnt it. Ooh. But I mean, how often can I keep doing that? No, don't do that. They'll become resistant to it, too. Just dig it out with a shovel, get deep, and then every time you do it, what comes back will be less. Thank you, Jane. Good luck. Okay. And uh, make sure you get your Sierra Sill out for your sore, your sore body, your sore muscles after all that digging. Ed, it's uh, your turn. Hi. Um, yeah, I have a fig tree that I inherited from a neighbor. Uh, live in a uh, in a condo. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, when I come to move the the fig tree, we found it was rooted into the deck. Oh, I see. It was in a pot that had rooted into the deck. Yeah. Okay. So uh, no problem. I cut. I cut. Cut the root. Cut the roots. About an inch mm-hmm. of water. Uh, moved it. Um, repotted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, fertilized it. Put new soil in. Potted it big, mm-hmm. twice, three times the size. Anyway, the uh, the poor thing is. Um, it's a very very root bound. Oh, okay. Imagine, and it's just not, just not uh, coming together nicely. Um, I don't know whether to water it a lot or water it less. No matter what I do, it's yellow leaves, and the new fruit is not just not growing. Uh, it's budding but not growing. Well, and figs are massive plants, right? So I think they're, you could grow one in a container. You'd need a very large container. Yeah. And, um, they, you know, they can get 20 feet across and uh, 15, 20 feet high. So... So, you know, you're talking a big container to keep a fig tree happy. Yeah, well, I'd say three times the size of mm-hmm, the original mm-hmm. one. However, it, can I, should I prune it back, or what, what would you recommend? In the spring, I might recommend uh, root pruning it and adding new uh, soil around the outside of the pot every year. And uh, you could also, in the springtime, cut back some of the big shoots because it's going to be a big plant. So you could prune it in the spring and uh, try to repot a little bit of it in the spring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Ed. Good to hear from you. And Dan, last call goes to you. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I cut you off there. You're back, Dan? Hi, hi. Good morning. Yeah, sorry um, about that. Yeah, I had an old yellow plum tree that tipped over, and uh, I pulled it back up straight, propped it up, and then the next season, I had huge production. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering um, if I should cut it down uh, and then let it start over again or just leave it. 
Oh, I would just leave it. And it probably produced a lot because it didn't have the ability to grow vegetatively. But um, the best thing to do is just leave it, especially after this year. Just just grow it on. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to ask you, just before I let you go, a couple of things. Uh, One is uh, compost, what to do with it at at this late juncture in the summertime. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any suggestions? Oh, you can at compost. There's no wrong thing that you can do with it. You can use it as mulch on your garden. You can save it for the spring when you're potting things up. Add a little bit of compost to your potting mix is a good idea. So you can, when you're planting, you can take compost and mix it into the planting hole. So you can use it now if you feel like you want to, or you can save it to the spring. The other thing I'm seeing a lot more of, and I think this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking that you'll agree, and that is rain barrels. Yeah, rain barrels are great. I mean, we have so much water in the spring and the winter and saving that and using it in the summer is terrific so there's mm. a there's a big advantage to that and there's nothing you have to worry about with the water filtering or anything like that just use it as it is use it as it is but then as soon as you start saving your own water you are then probably going to want to think carefully about how much you're using so in the spring maybe we can talk about uh, exact knowing exactly how much water to use because you don't want to waste it right so here we are at this late point in summer. Now, for mm-hmm. a lot of people, this is the end of summer, although mm-hmm. it, it, the, it's not officially the, the autumnal, autumnal uh, equinox is until another three weeks away, or a couple of weeks anyway. What should we be thinking about? But as we get back into our routines and we have less time for our gardening, mm-hmm. what, would you, what message do you want to leave us with? Oh, good, good question, Ian. Um, Grow plants, buy plants, put them in the garden, get some flowers out there, get uh, food for birds and bees and pollinating insects. I think uh, we need that in the city. The cities are, are dead. There's not enough birds. There's not enough insects. So, What kind of foods would those be? Because mm. we are, on the other hand, telling people not to provide food for pests and rodents. I see. What are the foods or the natural food uh, that we can attract these? Flowers. Flowers. flowers and and it's easy. I mean, I went to a, a friend's house the other day, and their garden is huge. Lots of vegetables, no flowers, and it's so important to have flowers. and 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 they're beautiful, but it's also really important for all the other you know things we've been talking about here. So so grow flowers. Get into the flower thing. It's beautiful and it's important. It's it's just as important as growing food. So you're doing nature's work. You are doing nature's work, and it's uh, it's you, easy and fun and rewarding. Do you get a crest on your shirt or a, a <laughs> cape to wear or yeah. anything like that? I should start producing badges. You should. Um, the UBC Botanical Garden is open for tours uh, right through the season. Mm-hmm. I would yep. highly recommend that a, a great way to spend some time in the afternoon uh, to commune with nature and see all the great work that goes on there. Good luck with your class Thanks, at UBC yeah. uh, with uh, your new students, and I'm sure the excitement is bubbling over. Mm-hmm. You must be very excited heading into that. I love it. Yep. When should we get you back for another tune-up? Oh, you know, uh, when we're in the strides of fall, that could be good because there's lots of things you can do when the leaves start falling off the trees. We'll look forward to that. Okay. Uh, anything new at the garden that we should know about right now? Uh, Apple Festival's coming up in October. That's oh, only a month that's away. that's fun. So that's, that's a big, big thing to think about with UBC Botanic Garden. Excellent. Thanks, Ian. Thank you so much. Egan Davis, an award-winning Red Seal horticulturalist. He's also the chief instructor at the UBC Botanical Training Program and a regular guest here on CKNW. Stay with us. CKNW Weekend is next. My name is Ian Power. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW.